Lot 666, a chandelier in pieces. Some of you may recall the strange affair of the Phantom of the Opera. Gentlemen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of But Have You Read? The series where Emily Edwards and I look at cinematic adaptations of some of the best and questionable in literature. We have been through it over these last couple of episodes. I'm trying to even remember where we started on this journey, Emily. Like, we've been through all areas of literature in just two or three episodes. Honestly, Anna Karenina, Jane Eyre, which is coming out, future, we pre-recorded that one. This is incredibly intense and weird. And it's all just makes you realize just how strange classic literature really is, doesn't it? Yeah, and we figured there's a great way to blend Halloween with classic literature. So we are looking at dueling versions of The Phantom of the Opera, 1925 and 2004. I know if you saw the little promo ad that I put up, I included 1943, but we had just done our Mummy episode and we had watched three films back to back to back and we didn't want to do that. So apologies, we will come back to 1943 at some point and see what Claude Rains can give us. But we decided to go the most opposite ends of the spectrum and do the original Lon Chaney silent film with the adaptation of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And if you think those two things have nothing whatsoever to do with each other other than the basics of a plot, you're right, but it's going to make for a fun episode. (laughs) And we thank all of you amazing patrons for making shows like this happen and allowing us to wax rhapsodic about weird movies of the early 2000s that helped us discover what we did and did not like in men. (laughs) So Phantom of the Opera, the same throughout both iterations of the story, originally based on the novel by Gaston LaRue. LaRue. Yeah. Have you read it? I have not. I have heard it is long and incredibly racist. Yeah. That about sums it up. It's weird. Very fresh. (laughs) You are going to be my book expert for this episode. So, but it tells the story of a young opera singer, Christine Daae, played in the 1925 version by the very, very cute Mary Philbin played in the 2004 version by the 17-year-old Emmy Rossum. I'm going to keep reiterating that she is not 18 in this movie. In the story and in life, not 18. Who is enchanted by this quote-unquote angel of music known as the Phantom of the Opera, played in 25 by Lon Chaney, played in 2004 by Gerard Butler, who is a physically disabled person who has just been allowed to live in the opera house underneath the grounds of Paris, actually living a pretty baller life in both versions. I mean, he's got a lot of space. He's got access to multiple levels of accessible travel. He's got a He's horse. living it. He's having a great time. And he really wants Christine to come live in his subterranean basement home with him. He decides to effectively kidnap her and also make her go out and perform for him. It's a weirdly transactional relationship. And she must be saved by her. Her lover, Raoul, played by some dude in 1925. He is just very, very basic. I don't even remember. Norman Carey, I think, is it's who plays him. Uh, and then Patrick Wilson in the 2004 version. The only distinction you're going to get is one movie has no dialogue. The other one has so much dialogue and it's all sung. An opera. It's, all it's an opera. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about you, Emily. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Broadway girl. 
But Phantom of the Opera came to me late. It was not the first Broadway show that I loved. I was not a Phantom girly at all until I saw the 2004 film directed by Joel Schumacher. And if you say, how did the director of Batman and Robin get to make a big budget musical? The answer is, I don't know, but he did. (laughs) I grew up going to Broadway shows. I am. I have issues actually processing information when it is sung at me. So I'm actually really bad at watching Broadway musicals and understanding what's <laughs> happening. I'm the person who has to read the plot like in the actual playbill while it's happening or else I will have no idea what's happening on stage. Beautiful. I've never seen Phantom the show. I've never seen Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Can I just say, I don't actually think there's anyone else who could do a justifiable job of getting the bonkersness of an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical onto screen than Joel Schumacher. I think it's actually the perfect director and like text combination. I think it's wonderful because Joel Schumacher just went like, you know what? What if we just ripped out every stop? I'm going to make an organ pun reference, pull out all the stops. Let's just do it. And he just goes for it. Not to say that the 1925 one isn't good because it is actually very good and terrifying, but I don't think there's anyone else on the planet who could translate Phantom of the Opera, the musical, to screen better than Joel Schumacher. It's so bizarre. The the 2004 version, and I don't want to get into talking about that too early, but it is so bizarre that in 2004, and I told you before we hit recording, this is two years before 300, which is is like the exact opposite of machismo. But the 2000s, people, if you did not live through the 2000s in filmmaking, You don't understand how we got, in just two years' time, one of the most homoerotic movies of all time. Yeah. And this musical, both starring the same actor. Yeah, yeah. Not sure. I have no idea. Like, I love Phantom of the Opera from a book perspective because it is the perfect Venn diagram of the weirdness of French literature, which has the creepy man ogling a young woman in a Parisian tourist trap of Hunchback of Notre Dame with the meeting out justice extrajudicially in the Paris sewers of Les Miserables. It's a combination pack. It's it's perfect. It's an absolutely perfect French novel for the fact that it's completely bananas. It's super French, is so over the top and weird that of course it makes good movies. And of course it's made like every three years on screen. I can't wait to see our boo Claude Rains in the 1940s version because I love Claude Rains and I can't wait to do that episode, but I totally understand why we're not doing it in this one. Remember when Universal was going to have this be in their dark universe and I think they were going to get like Ansel Elgort or Channing Tatum to play the Phantom? Absolutely not. That is just so upsetting. I don't like that. I I kind of am so upset that we didn't see this because I would have just loved it. We wouldn't have gotten singing or maybe we would have gotten singing. I don't know. I mean, we wouldn't have Universal as a studio that made movies anymore because if they had continued with the Dark (laughs) Universe, they would have gone bankrupt. But I kind of wish we would have gotten it. But that would also mean that we'll never get another Jurassic Park movie for good or for bad. (laughs) Say that's probably a good thing. But the 1925 one, you know, it's it's iconic. And we just did our episode on Dracula. And Dracula really came to define Bela Lugosi. And Lon Chaney just became defined as monsters. He played so many of them. It's fascinating to watch this. I think it was two years after he did Hunchback of Notre Dame. And Hunchback is a beautiful movie and it's so heartbreaking and it's so tragic. This movie is not necessarily heartbreaking and tragic because it is steeped in so much freaking ableism. 
that it really bothered me. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Both books are incredibly ableist from what I've been told. Hunchback Mm -hmm. has so many problems. Maybe one day we'll do all those versions. But watching this iteration of Phantom, and Emily, maybe you can tell me if it's better or worse than the source material. I kept noticing how often Eric, the Phantom character, is just kind of a horrible human being. He's he's talks about how he's aroused by Christine's purity. That's really his only emphasis. But it stems from the fact that he is trying to have her redeem him in some way, that the love of this able-bodied, beautiful woman will change his soul. And at the end, when he can't get that, he says, the evil spirit that makes my face evil, which is a very big trope, right, in literature. The Mm -hmm. concept that if you are ugly on the outside, then your soul must be ugly on the inside. And then that changes. I'm not really sure when, but I would probably blame it because I blame everything on Christmas Carol. But eventually it would turn into like, your sad, crippled visage hides the heart of a saint. Uh, But that's not where things started. And this is very much steeped in the concept of I am evil because I am ugly and I am ugly because I am evil. And that is a complete 360 pivot to what Andrew Lloyd Webber would do by essentially saying that, you know, this guy's kind of messed up, but he's just really seeking the love of a good woman. And there is so much phantom fanfic that eventually kind of pivots. But this film is firmly, firmly, firmly a horror film where you are not supposed to like this guy at all. Yeah, you know, it's hard to separate the conversation or the perspective we have in 2023 of like incels and grooming and creepers, you know, which is applicable to our understanding of, of these movies and this text with like the sheer horrible eugenicist ableism of the original text and also this first movie. So the book is actually a lot newer than people think. It actually came out in the early 1900s. It was published serialized uh, between 1909 and 1910. So it's a lot newer than people think. It just takes place in like the 1840s. So I think a lot of people, our understanding of timelines gets a little messed up and we're thinking to ourselves like, what is really the difference between 1840s and when the book is taking place and the early 1900s? But, and frankly, it's not actually that different, but holy Moses, did the early 1900s love eugenics. That was like the time where it was like, this is really taking off as a science. And it was just evil. It's just evil. And that is fully in this text through and through. Basically, the book has Eric basically because he looks different. He's shunned by society. And the only work he can find is as a torturer. And so I think during the second revolution, I don't know, sometime around Napoleon, my French history is really messed up. And so that's like the use they put him to. And so that's sort of why he needs his soul redeemed, but it's, it's it's inextricably coupled with his appearance. So that's kind of where the text was coming from. Andrew Lloyd Webber totally ignores the torture background. The 1925 movie does put it in there, but it doesn't explain fully basically how he got hired by the government in order to hurt people. It's just sort of put in there that because he looks different, he's a bad person. The early 1900s, well into the 1920s, 30s, 40s, eugenics was a hot topic. People really believed that that was the thing to do and it was going to cure all of society's ills and it's really effed up. And there's there's no button I can put on the end of that of just being like, yeah, that's the perspective of the movie. 
And it's awful. It's just terrible. And it's really something that Hollywood gravitated towards. I cannot emphasize how, how much mid to late 20s of silent film loved telling disabled stories in some of the more negative ways. And what's worth pointing out is that I think four years later would be the movie The Man Who Laughs, which uh, has Conrad Veidt and also Mary Philbin, who is in this movie. And it tells the story of uh, a man whose face is stretched into a permanent grin, which is what they modeled the Joker off of. And that is a very sensitive story of a guy that just wants to be loved. Uh, And I mean, it does have a lot of ableism within it. That character is just so tragic. You feel for him. He just wants human connection. You know, he just wants someone to understand him. If anything, I give Phantom credit because I always say, you know, historically speaking, disabled people are not inherently good more evil than the average person. They are flawed. And if anything, I appreciate making Eric in this movie just an outright misogynist, mm-hmm. like that he feels he's owed this woman. Because if anything, it does remind humanity that like disabled people are not incapable of misogyny. They definitely are. They are capable of racism. They are capable of all of these things. So I don't know. Maybe I kind of like pivot it back to actually this movie might be progressive because it's reminding you that disabled people are flawed humans and capable of being jerks. It's so difficult because you really do have the overwhelming representation of disabled people as either angels or, you know, inherently flawed emotionally because they are disabled. And it's just like, can you, we are begging for middle ground. We are begging for middle ground. Neither one of these movies separated by 90 years finds the middle ground but we're just begging for that middle ground representation we we really are you know and i know a lot of people say lon cheney understood disabled people because his parents were deaf and you know i hate to burst the bubble but you know family members who are not disabled themselves are capable of ableism you know it's very much a thing that exists and i do think that he did play characters that, yes, are very sympathetic in other films. You know, again, Hunchback of Notre Dame, I think he is very sympathetic. And yet at the same time, he's still overly exaggerating his appearance. And the character I, in this instance, more than Hunchback, is meant to be just overtly grotesque. You are not supposed to find anything yeah. redeeming in this character at all. Oh something that you talk about all the time when you do talk about uh, living as a disabled person of just that every disability is different. And that if you're looking for, it's like a disabled, a hotel room with a shower for a disabled person that is ambulatory versus non-ambulatory versus, you know, versus deaf versus sighted versus not. And it's just, they're all different. And so it's really impossible to say that Lon Chaney understood disability because he had deaf parents when you're discussing someone with a a facial difference or a limb difference or something like that. They're, They're all different. They all come with their own challenges and social perspectives and social challenges. And so I really, am not comfortable with saying, oh, Lon Chaney, he certainly understood better than people who had family that had no disabilities, but you cannot equate the two. You simply can't, especially no. because 
the makeup in this and also how it is described in the book is he is described as having essentially a skull for a face. So that is a visual something that someone will notice upon being someone that fictional disability of and you don't necessarily see that someone is deaf. It's just a different relationship and a different way that society is going to treat you. And it, I just don't think you can make the equation between the two. No. And it's certainly something that they blow up in the 2004 version Gah. so much so that it's just really hilarious. So Gerard Butler is playing our, our Eric in this. And in the original film in the 25, we don't really know much about the Phantom of the Opera and his backstory. We know that he was sent underground. You know, we give him far more a- a backstory, I think, in the four version to make him mm-hmm. sympathetic. So like he was a circus performer who was chained up and tortured. And then this young girl took pity on him. And now he's nice to her because she saved his life. But 100% made up by by the lyricist <laughs> Tim Rice, Andrew Lloyd Webber. That is not in the book at all. Yeah, he's essentially like the circus performer. They're feeding fish heads. And then she decides to like let him out one day and he's like, cool, you're in my cool book. Everybody else can just die for all I care. The way Gerard Butler is presented in this film is extremely sexy. Like the pants are super, I cannot stress Mm -hmm. his pants are like a size zero. It is very, very upsetting. You know, everything about his costumes are form fitting. He's just very intimidating. He's got this grand presence. And for the majority of the movie, you know, they they unveil his face in the 25 version, I think within the first like 45 minutes. The movie's not that long. In this, it takes probably a good hour until we get the famous reveal scene. Yeah, she takes off his mask at the same point in the story uh in 2004 but you don't get a full visual you just kind of get like an over the ear shot and you understand that his mask has been taken off but you actually don't get the full reveal of the face until we're in a Don Juan triumphant and you know and later much 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 later on in the story and so it's like yeah, you know. Which, and the face reveal in 25, it's an iconic shot. It's legendary. Her coming up behind him in the silent version and ripping his mask off. And you see that full face shot of his surprise. And, you know, he he throws her back. And I love at one point he's like grabbing her hair to like, look at my face, woman. This is what really you wanted violent. to see. It's very, very hyper violent. And in the 04 version, the first unmasking is just like, I know you have a problem, guy, but I'm not really clear on what it is. We see like maybe he's got like a little like maybe like a burn scar or something. Birthmark, yeah. Birthmark, maybe. And then when you get the Don Juan unveiling, which, by the way, it's all led up to by this incredibly horny song where they're just like heaving at each other the whole time. Like she's literally got a heaving bosom. I love that her straps on her little peasant top keep falling falling down. And I'm just (laughs) like, we get it. You guys want to fornicate really, really bad. And then she rips it off again. And I think what I noticed this time is that they're trying to go for something. They're not going for Cheney, clearly. But what I was more struck by is like oh so his face is just a little like scarfied and the amount of scarage changes from yes, the does. scenes and he's all of a sudden got white hair like his hair's all effed up mm-hmm. 
and it's missing, I, even though it wasn't previously. So he's yeah. got a little alopecia, and got, that's he it. Looks like he's got hives. Like he yeah. really just looks like he's. Got I hives. literally just kept saying, "What I'm hearing is, is that Christine's just going to be like, baby, wear a wig and sleep on the other side. We yeah. can make this relationship work forever. Never makes him a person where you would say." oh no, he is unattractive. I cannot. You know, it's always, you're always going to rationalize. And I think what I find fascinating about the 04 reveal is that that as an audience, as women, we say that. We're like, we can justify this. And yet, it's a great ableist trope of films that women who have some sort of visible disfiguration Dr. Poison and Wonder Woman or Mm -hmm. the birthmark girl in Ready Player One immediately comes to mind. It's like, oh, no, you as a man could never want me with my hideous port wine stain over my eye. Like, I'm so ugly. But in Phantom, it's just like, okay, boo, like we can still make this work. If you move out of the sewer, maybe we could we could make it happen. Yeah, you get a real job. You stop killing people. I mean, we can make this work out. I mean, you're really just acting extra right now. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I I remember thinking that too, of just like the the makeup for 25 is the reason why the 25 version is so famous. I mean, this makeup that Lon Chaney did himself is absolutely, it's a phenomenal makeup job. I'm not putting a value judgment on the representation of, of facial disfigurations, but we're putting a value judgment on the makeup job that he did and it's phenomenal and he notoriously injured himself in order to do it don't do that that's not healthy please don't do that but it, you know it, it, it's this very storied special effect and it's why the movie is so famous and then when you get it into the 2004 version and they're just kind of like he's just jerry butler and that's it. It's like, okay, so why is he a Phantom of the Opera? Why does he have the issues that he has? And it's why? never explained. And it just makes him more incelly and creepy. It just even, makes him actually worse. Even in the play, if you've seen footage of the original musical and Michael Crawford's makeup, yeah. it's still far more extravagant, you know, yeah. than than the film, yeah. which... Tommy Lee Jones two-face situation in most of like the stage applications of makeup and you're just like okay I get why you have a thing like I get why you're upset and if anything I think that the 04 I mean both versions suffer from nobody does anybody really care about Raul does anybody really care Mm -mm. nobody cares about him in the in the 25 version you know I do appreciate that, like, what is the relationship? It's different in the 25 version. Yes. Um, then it they was are already engaged in the 25 version. Yes. They're already a couple. Whereas in the play, the text and the the 2004 version, Raul is a V-comp. He goes to the opera. He sees Christine and he's like, hey, I used to have a thing for that girl when we were kids. We're going to lightly touch on the fact that Emmy Rossum is 17 and Patrick Wilson is 40 in this movie. So she is. OK, let me let me just spell this out for you. The character of Christine Daae's father dies when she is seven and that is when she is taken this is in the 2004 version and also the text of the book and madame giri takes her to the opera when she is seven years old and so patrick wilson is 13 years older than emmy rossum in this and he goes we were childhood sweethearts so you already had a thing for her when she was six and you were 19 we're just going to keep going with this. Yeah. And how I, I don't, old was Gerard Butler when you made it? Even this? older than Patrick Wilson. He's three years older than Patrick Wilson. So he was in 43. <laughs> 
when this poor 17 year old girl, listen, I have a problem with the fact my that she apologies was not to Jane Eyre. We gave Jane Eyre such guff for the I age know, gap. This is and so much worse. Okay. I have a problem with the fact that Emmy Rossum is 17. Christine Daae in the book is like 19 or 20. She's super young. Totally get that. Totally totally fitting too young 17 because she's making out with people and i totally am okay with the fact that jerry butler is 43 he's supposed to be a creep get that why they had to make Raoul 40 is beyond me that jerry butler can't sing it, it is notoriously known of the 2004 version he's awful but 43 lusting after a 17 year old drives home the creepy nature of the phantom of the opera's lustfulness towards christine Daae. i don't like it but i get it 40-year-old love interest when they were childhood sweethearts is my real hiccup in the 2004 version. I mean, also, I love that Raul in the 25 version also is, I mean, both the Phantom and Raul, I mean, kudos for the 25 version, making them both equally terrible men, in my opinion. Yeah. At one point, Raul tells Christine, you were in one show, you've accomplished everything, now we can get married. Like, he's clearly telling her, you're not going to ever work again deal with it and your one thing now yeah, be happy. Gave, yeah exactly why are you not giving me my kudos because i let you have one performance jesus but yet yet the problem that i have is and maybe it's the script of the 04 version maybe it's the schumacher thing i don't know is that we get essentially the f boy which is the yes. phantom and then we get like the sad sack which is raul raul is so whiny and wimpy and it doesn't help that patrick wilson's voice is kind of on the like flirting with a little falsetto in Mm -hmm. in a lot of his songs and like at the end when there's this big scream shouting song at the end where he's like tied to this grate and the phantom's like i'm gonna strangle him and she's like no and he's like i'm sorry christine and they're all singing slash shouting at each other so it is just this cacophony of sound (laughs) loud I was literally just like, could we just choke this guy out? Because he's such a crybaby. Christine just should tell both of them, you know what? Peace. I'm I'm done. I hate you both. You both suck. So in the 1925 version and in the book, there is a wonderful character. Okay. It's racist. It's very racist. We're just going to say super racist. But also he serves a real purpose of you have a character called the Daroga. He is a, the Persian, air quotes. And he is the person who is also lurking in the sewers going, aha, Vicomte Chani, I can take you to where the Phantom is holding your girlfriend. And so you have this he's guy. He's do right? In the, the 25 yes. version. Yeah. Yes. And so Arthur a- Edmund Carew character. Yeah, in the 25 version, he's a French policeman, but in the actual book, he is a he's a Persian who just magically knows how to he's also a cop, but like he just magically knows how to, you know, subsume the underworld because he's not white. Yeah, that's where the racism comes in. French, not very good with people of color. But like he's not in the 2004 version. Poor Patrick Wilson's Raoul has to be like super manly because he's gonna go after the phantom. Whereas like in the book. And in the 1925 version, he's allowed to be kind of useless because he's just a pretty boy who wants his girlfriend back because there's another guy to do the work. Madame Jury becomes the Ledoux character that like teaches him what to do, which yeah. I guess is feminism uh, that we let. And and yeah. I did notice, too, Arthur Edmund Carew, who plays Ledoux, Emily, was also up for the Bella Lugosi role in Dracula. Oh. 
Interesting. I, I don't. I could see why they would consider him. He's got yeah. this kind of swarthy appearance, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. He's not doing much in this that would make me think that he would have been good in that role. No, I love Bella as Dracula just because, like, Dracula is from Romania. And so was Bella Lugosi was Hungary, but it was, you know, the, the same area. It was the same. The Austrian-Hungarian Empire shifted around. And Bella Lugosi is, like, from the area. I think it's totally fine. I don't know. Because the other guy is, like, really French looking, I think. Or was he Turkish? He was not. He wasn't the right physicality for me personally. But uh, he definitely had the height and he in the swarthiness that I, I do appreciate <laughs> in the character that he's playing here. And I do want to shout out Mary Philbin as as our Christine very much played kind of sweet, sweet young women. She was a child actress and her parents were were very controlling. She did a lot of, of movies, acted until the, the 1970s before she actually passed away in 1993 at the age oh, wow. of 90, which... Good for her. Good for you. But I think she's very good in making pay with what she's got, which is to be this sweet, kind, virtuous young woman that just wants to be able to live her life. I do love that the 25 version doesn't give her the massive daddy issues that Christine in 04 has. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned her dad dies in the book at seven and it's like the moment she stops becoming a, a person, you know, yeah, like, her brain just snaps and her she brain like just stops just like, at seven of music. Yeah, it's not good, which I mean, it's the the joys of Phantom. You have to take if you're a Phantom fan person, you have to take it with a grain of salt. The minute a grown woman starts saying, I heard these voices and I think it's an angel of music. Mm, it might be schizophrenia, but, you know, uh, sure. like the angel is looking <laughs> over me and she and I'm just like, wow, she's going to say something absolutely cuckoo banana crackers and Ral is just going to be like, yeah, but you're so hot and I'm just going to let you have it like. Sure, honey. Angel of music. No problem. I do love we have to compare subterranean layers yeah, in, in these true. two movies. Rupert Julian uh, is one of many directors listed on this movie. Supposedly Lon Chaney also directed parts of this as well as Ernst Lemley. I think that the set design in the 25 version is so beautiful, especially in those mm-hmm. backstage areas where you get just like open mouths of painted sets and the ballerinas yeah. are there. It's very German expressionism, you know, kind mm-hmm. of reminiscent of something like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And you get those great big universal sets that are fantastic. The the Phantom, the Paris Opera House set is magnificent to see. I do love that we drop that chandelier about 40 minutes into the original film. Comes far later in the 04 version. I think it's earlier in the play. Yeah, They're it closes out the first act. So okay. in the play, it drops and then you're just like, oh, and then it's intermission and you don't know what's happening. And I think that's really, really cool and really, really gorgeous. And I don't know why they didn't do that in the 2004. <laughs> But in the Phantom sets, if you lived in L.A. and you went to Universal Studios up until, I think, about 2014, you could see the soundstage where they filmed Phantom of the Opera. And the sets were supposedly still inside. And I think up until like the 90s, if you paid an extra fee, you could go in and see the Paris Opera sets. I know that I never got to because I never paid extra. And I don't think they were doing it at that point. But it stood in for a lot of different films up until 2014 when they removed them to demolish the soundstage to build other stuff. And nobody knows 
knows what happened to the sets. They told people that they were preserved and they are in a location, but I have reason to believe that they are gone forever. Uh, imagine, because also Universal had that huge fire not too long ago. And well, they were able to, it, they were spared from the fire, but without mm-hmm. going into it too much, I heard some implications from certain people that they might have accidentally been destroyed, like just in the move or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to investigate this a bit more because I would very much like to know what happened to those sets because allegedly they are sitting somewhere completely safe. I don't know. But I love the production design of this. And his underground lair, it doesn't have the majesty of the O4. Like when she's singing the title song of the movie, I love that it starts in like her dressing room and then it turns into Barbie pretty much. You got to get on a horse. Then you got to get in a boat. And then yep. you got to cross this bridge uh, and then you get to my my apartment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you don't get all that sense of majesty, but you do get the ominousness, you get the claustrophobia, mm-hmm. which I would love to know. How, I, I need to do some more research about how they filmed that, because the way cameras were in 1925, I mean, uh, I don't know how they fit everybody on that set. It had to be massive. But in the 2004 version, it's super ginormous and it is creeptastic okay he's got a swan bed that looks like a clamshell and he's like girl i got you all your stuff you don't need to worry about anything and also here's this real doll i have of you just hiding in the corner in a wedding dress yep and that's when she passes out and honestly i i would have been hyper alert at that point i'd have been looking for exits i would not have lost consciousness because you do not want to know what is going to happen while i'm diving back into the sewer water desperate to get away because (laughs) he is listen metal shiri the Elder, played by Miranda Richardson in the 2004, back to the opera when she was seven and kept her in the dormitories. And then she's down in the dungeons. Poor Jerry Butler's phantom is like, I've been watching you since you got here. And it's like, again, she was seven. This is disgusting. And Madame Jury was just kind of like, we don't ask questions. And I'm like, you're her guardian. Perhaps you should be asking some questions, especially because you know a guy lives in the sewers and is watching this girl. Like, Uh, so much is wrong here and none of it gets questioned ever because Andrew Lloyd Webber was on a lot of cocaine when he wrote this musical and And was also uh, in love with a woman who was significantly younger than he was. Correctamundo. So like if you think that um, let's see what's the music of the night which is just basically about a penis it's he man they wrote it for a woman who was in the play <laughs> singing it all day now and also simultaneously thinking it's about a penis again my apologies to jane Eyre. our episode i think might have been meaner than it needed to be listen i can get meaner about phantom of- i don't like jane Eyre for a lot of reasons but i will not say that i like phantom of the opera better in any capacity <laughs> I actually just don't think that Phantom of the Opera as like a text actually gets treated in the same way because it wasn't originally written in English. I feel like British literature gets a lot of scrutiny from the American educational system because like America and Britain are inextricably linked, whereas we don't give enough crap to French literature because most people don't read French literature. And I was very lucky that in college I got to take a class called the Literature of Continental Europe, where my professor was like, don't worry, everybody else is as weird as we are. And it was really, really nice. (laughs) 
If you're curious about Oscars, the 2004 one was not nominated for anything, I think, other than just making. Actually, it was nominated for three Oscars. Holy crap. Hold on. Set design, costume design, and... Cinematography, Mm. art direction, and score... Or no, original song, because they did write a song that nobody remembers to get the Oscar nomination. So cool. Yeah. You know, three. Yeah. I want to give one more shout out for this movie. Mini Driver. Oh, yeah. Mini understood the assignment. She gets it. She is so funny. Watch this for her being a fake bad Italian for like the 40 minutes that she's in it. She plays Carlotta. She's to die for and i don't think she gets enough credit for how incredibly funny she is and oh and so many of the roles that she does mini driver is great she should get more stuff yes i'm still shocked that this was nominated for three academy awards just very very surprising but the the 1925 version i didn't love it the first time i saw it but it has really grown on me and i think it's beautifully filmed Lon Chaney's really good. You know, it's just if you're looking for an entry into silent film and silent horror, it's worth a watch. It's beautifully rendered. And I just I really appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot more now. The 2004 version, oddly enough, I also very much recommend it. If you want to see our attempts in the 2000s to bring back the big budget musical by saying that anybody who can act can also sing. And how that does not always bode well. I don't know. I don't think Gerard Butler is a terrible singer. He's better than Pierce Brosnan, which is always my bar. And he's better than Russell Crowe. I have long maintained that Jerry Butler is just the budget Russell Crowe. And I think it works really, really well here. He gives it his all. Whether or not his all is correct for the part, like, honestly, John Barrowman is only three years older than Jerry Butler. Like, so the age difference between him, the creepy age difference between him and Christine, just, I would put an actual like Broadway star in Jerry Butler was well known at this time. Personally, I just feel like you could have just thrown in a better Broadway singer, but that's that's just me. I have like so, a list of people I would have preferred. I should have right. looked at the casting section of Wiki before we talked about this. Hugh Jackman was who they wanted, but right. he was making another film for Universal called Van Helsing. Right. And honestly, I would say, what was the better option, Hugh? Because I don't think it was Van Helsing. He did not do the film, obviously. And Joel Schumacher had worked with Gerard Butler in the film Dracula 2000. It all comes back to Dracula. Doesn't uh, it? And decided that guy sounds like he should do it. Butler had no professional singing experience and had only taken four voice lessons. Four. Four times he had practiced singing and got the role. And King Holmes was originally the front runner for Christine Daae. She was replaced by Anne Hathaway, Mm -hmm. but Anne Hathaway dropped out of the film because she had to film Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement, which again, and I say this as somebody who loves Princess Diaries 2, like what would have been better? Yeah, and so they replaced her with Emmy Rossum. So remember when we talked about James Franco as James Dean and we like looked at where we started and where we ended? This this is where we ended. So, So yeah, but... I think the 04 version is a lot of fun. And, you know, just remember that only two years separated this 
from 300. So, you know, Gerard Butler contains multitudes, apparently. Uh, Emily, what are your thoughts on 25 and 04 Phantom of the Opera? I loved the 25 version. I thought it was genuinely scary, which like doesn't happen a lot when you go back and watch movies that are really, really, really old, like Dracula. Scary. The Mummy. Not scary at all. Phantom of the Opera, like legitimately uncomfortable watching it. And uh, I will say that, unfortunately, uh, at least the version that I watched, I'm not sure if it was the original score, the organ music that sounds like it's for a merry-go-round kind of takes you out of it. But again, really impressive. Just the can't fault the makeup. Really appreciate it. 2004, if you've seen the stage play, this is the only way it could be transferred to screen. I just, is it great no is it entertaining is all get out yes and just do it it's great and just feel really bad for patrick wilson's wig the wig work in this movie is so bad the only one that gets a pass is emmy rossum because i'm pretty sure that was her hair so yeah good for her uh by the way this is our second emmy rossum movie we've done on the patreon go back and listen to her as young audrey hepburn in the Audrey Hepburn story. So, yeah. But listeners, we thank you so much for helping us keep the lights on by supporting our Patreon and letting us do episodes like this. You can follow us on all social media. I'm always on all social media at Kristen Lopez 88. Emily is at Ms. Emily Edwards. We both have books. Consider buying them. We would appreciate that. And we will be back with a new episode soon. Till then. <laughs>